It's Dr. Ron Kaiser, and you know I'm all about wellness and all about prevention. And with that in mind, I'm happy to welcome the sponsor of this podcast, NutriSense. Do you know that your blood sugar levels can significantly impact upon how your body feels and functions? The NutriSense program lets you analyze in real time how your glucose levels respond to food, exercise, stress, and sleep. Here's how it works. You wear a continuous glucose monitor that's called a biosensor, and you have an app on your phone, the NutriSense app that helps you to scan your glucose levels, visualize data, log meals, run experiments, and much more. And then on top of that, you get expert dietitian guidance. Now, there are significant benefits from knowing your glucose level, and that can include weight loss if that's desired, stable energy throughout the day, better sleep, and understanding which foods are good for you. I personally have used the NutriSense system, and I learned how making a few tweaks in the way that I eat has helped me to be more energetic and productive throughout the day, and especially to avoid that early afternoon slump that I know some of you share. So, what I strongly encourage you to do is go to NutriSense.io slash goal, G-O-A-L, and that's a special code for listeners to this program. You'll be able to both learn about the various subscription plans that NutriSense has, and it also enables you to enroll for one. And as a special gift to our listeners, if you use that sign-up code, you will get $30 off of a subscription plan as well as a month of free dietitian support. So that's NutriSense, N-U-T-R-I-S-E-N-S-E dot I-O slash goal, G-O-A-L. Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, and also a keynote and TEDx speaker and author of the triple award-winning book, The Rejuvenating, The Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is the Mental Health Gym. It's your source of information regarding all kinds of things related to rejuvenating, wellness, positive psychology, my own particular spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology, and other wellness-related activities. My uh, hope is that you will visit the website and communicate with me on it. You can also, by the way, recommend guests for future podcasts. As listeners to the podcast know, my hope is always to bring you informative, knowledgeable guests who lead their own lives enthusiastically uh, with their own production and 
help us through what they do to become better versions of ourselves by becoming more knowledgeable and hopefully becoming more involved and enthusiastic in making this world a better place and becoming the best possible version of yourself. I've got a guest with us today who's sort of unlike any uh, one I've had before in relation to the, the topic, both in terms of its importance and um, bringing information to us that many of us probably don't think a whole lot about. But if we want this world to be a better place, I can't think of a better guest to help educate us in this regard. Stephen Shaw has led a varied life, including various places where he's lived and become educated. He has gone to schools in uh, the UK. He's gotten a math, uh, an MBA in France. He's currently enrolled in Harvard University's Extension School with a focus on uh, quantitative methods and computer science. In the year 2000, Stephen co-founded Autometrics to provide data services to the world's largest automakers using predictive sales dynamics uh, data and productive solutions using artificial intelligence and advanced statistical analytics. I do have to say that's not really what he's going to be talking about today. But as I said, he's had a varied life. He has been product architect at Autometrics since its inception. And in 2017, he founded Cesaro in Japan to provide data-related services to the Japanese automotive industry. And uh, as an aside, Stephen is currently residing in Tokyo and uh, is uh, a day ahead of us as we record. He took up filmmaking, of all things, in 2016 after being shocked at the rapid fall in birth rates. Birth Gap, the film Birth Gap, is his first documentary on the topic. It was selected for the Chelsea Film Festival uh, in New York. Stephen has pointed out that for the past 70 years, fertility rates have decreased by 50% worth worldwide, yet few of us have been thinking about the social and economic impact that communities will need to prepare for. In his film, shot in 24 different countries, it explores the phenomenon of global birth rate decline through the lens of multiple societies worldwide to better understand why this is happening in the first place and how it will drastically affect social and economic structures in the future. And uh, I am so interested in learning more about this topic and where we're going with it in if it is a problem and if it is one, are there solutions to it? So Stephen, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. I am so looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you, Ron. Thank you for the introduction. That was very kind. Well, let's, uh, first thing, uh, I, I know we've got a lot of weighty stuff to discuss, but I am just so intrigued by how you got to this point 
Can you just give us a little bit of background about your journey to becoming who you are today? Well, I certainly never expected to be a filmmaker. That was never on my uh, career path. I never saw that coming. I think I would describe myself as someone with a curious mind. Uh, someone said that to me once, that I'm curious. And I thought, yeah, that's probably the best description of me I've heard from another person. And that might have led me to study in those different places, to live in different cities, to try to pick up the basics of some languages badly. And it was along this journey that I found that I had an interest in data, what we now call data science, where you kind of find within the depths of data trends and information that perhaps others either don't know or hadn't been looking for. And I think the common consistent thing career-wise is over the past 20 years, you know, what we've been focused on, what my, my companies have been focused in is for large corporations trying to predict the future from vast amounts of data. So that might be the common path that's led me to where I am. The filmmaking side popped out of data. I, I uh, in 2015, I beg your pardon, it was beginning of 2016, I saw a newspaper article about population shifts in Europe that frankly, I couldn't quite believe. And it prompted me to sit down and go into the depths of some uh, European Union databases to look at birth rates. And it was a moment of shock. I'll never forget it because I saw this consistent trend through Germany, Italy, Switzerland, Austria, Spain, Portugal, so many countries from around the same time had this huge shift in birth rates. And the shocking thing was I didn't know about this. You know, what I do is try and predict the future for my clients. And yet falling birth rates is going to have a fundamental impact on corporations and societies and economies. And I felt I should have known that. And if I could say one more thing, I have three children. I felt as a father in some way, I had not been preparing my children for the future they're going to enter into when, frankly, the world as we know it shifts fundamentally to one where there's less workers, there's more older people. And that is a world I think we, we haven't been talking enough about. So that's how I got to this point and, and somewhat randomly happened to become a filmmaker in the process. And uh, you you went to, uh, I believe it's 24 different countries in, in making the film. Is that throughout the world or are you concentrating in uh, Western countries or third world countries or whatever? Well, that, that, that's a great question, because at the start, my plan was to finish filming inside a year to take a few weeks every few months to film in Europe, because that's where, to me, the heart of the problem was to then go to Japan, because Japan's had the same issue. It was obvious I had to go there. And I thought that would be fine. And after the first year or so, um, the question just kept opening up. I still hadn't got this answer as to why this was happening. So the next idea was to go to Latin America, country, countries that were not quite as developed, not quite as industrialized, to see if I could, from that perspective, see what was happening there. Like, in a sense, going back in time in Europe, let's go to somewhere that's going through a transition now. So that took me to quite a few countries. And then I sat down with a friend in LA, thinking after two years now, I pretty much finished this documentary. And she said to me, 
Stephen, if you don't go to Africa and India, I will never believe your story. You have to go there too. And I knew she was right. You know, I had to show, if you like, the other side of it. And that led me going to, you know, Ethiopia, Malawi, Nigeria, South Africa, Bangladesh, Nepal, India, uh, Thailand. Uh, and, and really, you know, it was a, a, the journey in itself was one that once it started, I couldn't stop because this is a global situation. This is a global phenomenon. And I had to see it from my own eyes that way. So is there an obvious explanation for why this is taking place? You know, it, it's it's strange. Uh, if you don't mind, I encourage people to to watch the documentary to, to kind of see how this story unfold because in a sense it's obvious, but it's almost too obvious. And without giving everything away now, I mean, we're living in societies where people are deferring parenthood. And there comes a moment in time when it becomes more and more difficult to become parents. And that is really the hub of the problem. And I think what, what we're doing in societies is focusing on the concept that parenthood can be delayed without necessarily being made fully aware of the challenges that are involved. And during the documentary, I sit down with four uh, fertility doctors, understanding you know, the possibilities today. And of course, there's great breakthroughs, which are, which are phenomenal. And we've interviewed people who had great successes about becoming parents into their 40s. But we interviewed many more who failed. And I think it's that side that we're not hearing enough about so, you know, in simple terms, uh, and, you know, we, we I, I think we're not thinking enough about when the right time is as societies that we should consider becoming parents. That's a very delicate subject, and I will never allow anyone to accuse me openly of encouraging people to have children when they're not ready. All I'm trying to do is encourage people to think about it, you know, to think about when that time might be. Yeah, no, it's interesting as you mentioned it because I know uh, when when my wife and I got married, I was I believe was thirty two, and I wasn't the last of my group to get married, but I was pretty close. And uh, in general, our you know, when we were involved with uh, schools and and kids teams and clubs we were among the older parents at that age and now i mean that we we, we might be among the younger ones i know uh, a lot of people yeah. who are deferring uh getting married and or having kids until later i guess i'm wondering also whether there isn't some uh, and, and i don't know how universal it is but certainly more kinds of different family arrangements are are acceptable nowadays uh and almost by nature some of them mean that there's going to be a deferring of of getting kids uh until of having kids until later is it is it also true that you're you're having small smaller families uh in addition or as uh is one a byproduct of the other, or uh, am I wrong about that? I, I believe I, I've heard that. Yeah. Well, th there's actually a, a misconception in this area, but it's not quite as simple as that. And of course, many people speak of a uh, shift, as you've said, to smaller families. But when you break it down, there's actually two shifts that, that happen. 
if you go to countries that are less developed to start there, which would have also been Europe, the US and Japan, you know, a century or more ago, you would have found it commonplace to have five, six, 10, 12 children. What we find is that the desired family size is smaller than that. So there is a natural decline, shrinking of family size in those developing nations to around two or three. Of course, some will have four or more and some will have one, but that is. But then you get to this point where the desired family size stays around the same two or three, just to keep it simple. What then happens is there's a, a, a gap opens up to, to between desired family size and achieved family size. So people are wanting two or three, to keep it simple, but they're only having maybe one or two. So it, it's, it's more complicated than it's just being one shift towards smaller family size. There's two shifts. One is a natural one, reducing to desired family size and then going below that. I think what we're seeing now is a situation where it's hard today to plan your education and your career and find the right partner and have fun along the way and choose that right time. It's really hard to find that right moment in time. But that's where we, why we have this situation of low birth rates right now. And perhaps I can be clear on one point here. It is absolutely not driven by people choosing to have smaller families. It is simply not. It's about unmet desires to have a certain family size. That's very, that's really fascinating, Steve. And I'm wondering also whether the the role modeling for in terms of quality of life, and I, of course I can only speak for the United States, isn't different. That, that I, I think that middle class to lower middle class was not necessarily considered a a goal to not aspire to that if you were you know if you had a roof over your head if you had clothes so on i think that the perhaps the, the role modeling of what you should achieve or what you should give your kids is probably higher than it was when when i was growing up yeah and i think that dovetails into uh, you know the concept today and um of where do children fit in in terms of the priorities? You know, and someone might say, well, children are really important to me. Many people do, but there's a path to get there. And that path almost certainly involves getting a roof over your head, like in the past, but probably also getting a car or maybe two cars. It might also involve a winter vacation, summer vacation, maybe joining a country club. And when you've done all those things and you're 33, 35, there isn't much room left in your life financially and to fit into your relatively small apartment and, you know, that you've aspired to, to fit a family into it, perhaps. So it's not, I think, that people don't prioritize children as, prioritize children as much. I think it's just a societal drive for whatever reason has led us to aspire to these things. You know, I forget who it was, but someone well-known once said, well, we all end up doing what our neighbors do. You know, whatever they do, we all follow that same path. Mm. And I think we've all fallen into that in some way. Well, again, it's really fascinating. But at this point, we're talking kind of descriptive stuff. You seem to feel that this is going to lead us down some kind of a dark path or, or uh, 
a path that's going to be problematic, that, that somebody is going to have to wind up paying some kind of a price for having for the, having the, the birth rate continue to decline. So uh, let me just throw the naive question, What? okay, the birth rate declines, what's the problem? It's a fundamental shift that we're not prepared for. So to me, problem number one is we're not thinking about it. It may well be, I hope indeed it will be, that if we think and plan for it better than we are right now, we'll get through this. But the shift is going to happen on so many levels. So if we can just take two particular groups, the elderly and the working population, uh, those two may be mixed and time they will become more mixed, I, I, I'd like to think, because I think people should be working later in life. I think it's part of the solution. Uh, I'm perhaps doing things that they're desire, desiring to do, but let's just simplify things. Reality is that the, the relative number of old people is going to, in many countries, mushroom. You know, it's going to explode compared to those number of workers. Now, in the US, it's happening too. Canada, it's certainly happening, but at a slightly slower pace than elsewhere. But it's still happening. So you're going to have a situation in all of these countries where the number of elderly people you have to support is increasing, while at the same time, you have a shrinking workforce. Well, what does that mean? It means the tax receipts from the workers is going down. And the tax receipts are used to some extent to help take care of older populations. Now that can be through uh, welfare programs, it can be through healthcare programs, it can be through state pension programs, but you're going to find the quality of life for older people significantly challenged because there will be continually uh, reduced tax receipts to pay for them. At the same time, those younger workers are going to have more pressure because the other side of this coin is that there'll be more and more pressure to increase taxation on workers. And the unfortunate thing in this situation, what, what seems to happen is that as those societal pressures increase on workers, one thing they're even less likely to do is have more children. Because some future generation has to start with more children, otherwise this problem will, will never ever stop. So you kind of get into this spiral of burgeoning number of older people to take care of, shrinking workforces. Of course, immigration to an extent could help balance this but we're now getting to birth rate numbers so low that we're beyond the level that immigration can actually be an answer to. And then going beyond that, we have these, this almost, well, an increased pressure on people who would want to be parents, almost disincentivization to be a parent in this environment. So the question therefore for societies becomes how do we solve this? through technology, through you know, revisions to our economic planning for when we're older, and for how, how we age. You know, I, I think the fundamentals will come down to, and I love the concept of re rejuvenating. I mean, I, I think that's, whether we want it or not, that's going to have to be part of how societies re-engineer themselves. So that has become quite a passion for me. And uh, I will just share, if I can, you know, all my journeys, I came across some very bleak situations of older people 
who were suffering from loneliness, uh, harrowing situations. And I just look at those people and just think that societies have just left them to wither away on their own. And it's a personal tragedy, but it's going to become more and more a human humanitarian crisis uh, on, on a global scale that we're just not thinking about. Now, that's an obvious concern of mine that societies throughout the world have largely taken kind of a passive attitude toward aging and uh, which translates to older people themselves being passive about it, of you know, yes. reaching a retirement age without any plan for, for anything. And obviously, I think one of the solutions might be for people to listen to me and that we make the older age ranges more productive. We now have the science to improve health, to enable us to live longer and so on. But it's a waste if that's not going to be used productively because you know, a lot of older folks who are in good health, who aren't declining cognitively, who can make major contributions to society and don't need the level of support that some people might. I'm wondering about other solutions. Is uh, there's something other than making the, the older age range more productive? Well, I think that come to me is a really important heart of it because I think what people need at all stages of life is community. And community, in part, comes from where we work and who we work with. So by losing that community, you already have reduced, I think, the opportunity for people to not just be productive, but to be part of a societal community that gives them you know, satisfaction and pleasure and, and makes them, I think, you know, happier people. But if you also look at what's happening with shrinking birth rates over time, that means both smaller extended families, you know, less uncles and aunts and cousins that, than a generation or two before, and for a growing segment of society, it means aging without children. Now, in many countries right now, in Europe, Japan, we're, we're looking at best part of 35, 40%, 45% in the likes of South Korea. But in the US, there's now a wave of childlessness. And most of it we know is what I call unplanned childlessness. People who had planned to become parents and for whatever reason through circumstance didn't. These are people who are going to grow older without children of their own. And I'm not just saying that children should be the ones to take care of the needs of the parents always, but it is another important element, I think, of being part of a community. So in terms of what I'm uh, looking at uh, here, uh, ambitiously, perhaps, um, talking to you from, from Japan, I'm, I'm looking at working with centers here are trying to integrate old age people more into the broader community. Now that might be through doing some work for nonprofits. It might be through um, just encouraging people to, to go to the gym when they might be kind of shy to do that, to integrate with other people. That the idea that older people are distinct from society, I think is fundamentally wrong. And I'm told here of times in the past in Japan, going back a couple of hundred years, where there really was a broad community where the elder people of the community would have clear roles, like helping with childcare. You know, people would go off and the old people would be there to productively do things. 
So whether those ideas are right broadly or right or wrong for individuals is, is, is of course, not up to me. But what I can see is this separation I think we have in our minds that once you retire, you've, it's like you've gone to another planet almost. It's like you're in that category of a retired person. No, we need to integrate society and find roles for everybody here. And productivity is part of it, but but also to get to reduce this old age loneliness I'm seeing everywhere. We need to engage people back into society who have reached that age. Yeah, that would would solve or at least contribute to the solution for lots of problems, both the, the child care issue as well as uh, the productivity of older folks. I love the topic because it just you know, in my own mind, it's it's made me think of possible solutions, some of which have probably all been thought about and may or may not work. But I think, for example, if uh, if childcare were considered a, uh, a a profession that's respected and well paid, it might make parents more willing to have one more child or to have any child, knowing that their child is well taken care of. And when they can come home, if they spend just the evening with them, that it can be a quality of life evening that, that some of the basic needs of the child have been met. Again, I, I it may be either unworkable or, or something that's been thought of, but I, I just think that opening up this topic is is so, so great. Which I think uh, leads us to to the film. Tell us a little bit about what it is and where people can can view it. Thank you very much uh, for the opportunity. So uh, the film's called Birth Gap: Childless World. Uh, we're currently working through some distribution agreements, but what I'd suggest is for people to come to the website birthgap.org. At the moment, you you can view um, part of it there. We've split it into three sections each around 45 minutes. The documentary is really a journey. It starts out literally with me nervously talking in Harvard Square uh, into a camera for the first time ever saying, I'm going to go and find out the reason for population collapse, uh, almost jokingly, not actually knowing if I'd even get past the first day's filming. It then goes through a journey to Japan and Europe where I'm literally stopping people in the streets asking, why is this happening? I mean, it, it was a time for me when I literally, I say it on film, but I literally could not sleep because I couldn't understand why any species would suddenly, almost overnight, have so few children. So you see me going to interview people and the, the answers are, they differ. And, and, and that was the clue for me that, you know, I'm finding the same different answers in each country. There's no clear answer coming out of Japan versus Germany and Italy. We go beyond that because we actually come up with an answer to do with delayed parenthood. And um, I'm not going to give the full story away, but I think it's quite interesting the way we visualize them. The story then gravitates towards personal, deep personal stories from people around all of these countries who either made decisions that they were happy with, explaining how they made those decisions and when, or people whose life didn't work out the way they wanted, and perhaps why. And those stories can get really quite emotional. From there, we then start to look at the consequences of this. You know, what's the implications socially? What's the implications 
for economics, for almost all aspects of society that are going to be impacted by this. Um, Maybe just to, to finally say, if people are watching and thinking there's a final aha moment where I come come up with the solution that doesn't happen. But I think I do open the way to uh, enable people to engage in conversations around it. And if I must say say here now, that, that to me ultimately is what we need to be doing. We're not talking enough about this. We need to be discussing this issue, planning for it. And my own personal passion more than anything with respect is that for younger people, you know, people at high school age, people at college age in particular, still planning their futures. They're the ones who are going to be more impacted than anybody because they're going to be living through this both as workers and as retirees. Um, I think these are the people who more than anything have an opportunity ultimately to solve this. So I'd be delighted. And if anybody wants to email me at birthgap.org, stephen.shaw at birthgap.org, I'd be happy to provide any more uh, information. So it's stephen.shaw at birthgap.org. That's correct. We'll have that in the show notes. And uh, thank you. Is, and you said there is a website where we can. There's a, a website I'm, um, that I'm actually establishing that will allow people to post comments and queries um, where I'm posting uh, occasional articles are, are are made, you know, uh, appear in newspapers and I'm putting my own kind of interpretation on those. Uh, there's a small annual membership fee. I think it's $20 a year, but it's really just a token to allow people to actually from that get a richer set of data and information and interaction. I'm expecting that the movie itself will be on streaming services next year. We're going through negotiations right now uh, as to how to do that uh, best. So uh, in the meantime, the best thing is to come to the website. Okay, so we'll get that information, get it on the show notes. And it seems like this is really the kind of thing that film groups or society groups can, uh, you know, be able to to view and then have a really meaningful discussion about it. I think that the it's so great that you've raised the topic that needs to be discussed uh, because it is one of those issues that that needs solutions. And, uh, you know, I think we're in the world, we're all in this together on some, some kinds of issues. And this is one of them. And so I am grateful that you've come on. I'm I'm proud that I brought you on Stephen. It's been an absolute delight to, to talk with you, but even more important as delightful as it's been, it's been so informative and, really got me thinking i'm sure it has with the listeners too so before we quit is there anything i should have asked you but didn't or anything else that you think is really an important thing for you know all of us to be aware of this is going to be a slow change to societies it's not going to be a thing we're going to wake up and suddenly discover how the world's changed but that doesn't mean that it isn't happening So I think it is something that people really do need to take seriously. And just to really just conclude on uh, by emphasizing the point you make from from my own experiences when I've screened it at colleges, which I have done, when I've screened it to groups of 30-year-olds and groups a little bit older, the dialogue between people afterwards, this is a subject that people, um, whether they know it or not, 
end up talking about it, wanting to talk about it, in fact talking about it into the early hours so that 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 to me is the you know the thing perhaps I, if i'm proud of anything it, it's simply that that i'm just opening up this topic to encourage people to talk more so but thank you so much indeed for your this opportunity and i look forward to continuing to engage with you because i'm sure you've got many solutions in terms of you know rejuvenating that i need to learn more about so uh, i look forward to keeping contact well i'm certainly interested in continuing a dialogue with you on on the podcast and i certainly can see us doing this doing this more on podcast and uh also just just generally as anything that we can do to to support each other's work i think can be helpful in this regard because i do think that the the older population that can be uh active and healthy and so on can be a big part of the solution to the problem that uh that needs solutions and uh, thanks again for sharing all this information with us Stephen. and uh this won't be the end of our uh, our interactions. So, and uh, I do want to tell all the listeners, I hope that you'll tell friends to, to listen to the podcast. This episode is particularly meaningful to everybody. So please download it, uh, rate it, review it, tell your friends about it. But also come back next week when we'll have another really interesting guest that will help you to become a better version of yourself. And on that note, it's time to quit. This has been Dr. Ron Kaiser. Uh, once again, please visit me at the mental health gym and be back next week. And in the meantime, stay positive. Despite all these problems we learn about, stay positive and stay safe. Take care and we'll see you next time.